This episode's focus is on a subject that isn't broached too often, but I saw it popularized recently when perusing articles on Old Testament validity. Have you ever wondered, what is the applicability of the Old Testament to a Christian's life? Are there differences between Sharia law and Mosaic law? What are all of the parameters of each religion's law and their intended use? I intend to answer all these questions in a new three-part series where I break down these questions and many more. Tune in weekly to find out more about the Old Testament and its relation to your now Christian life. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. So hello and welcome to The Whitaker Show, as you just heard. Thanks for tuning in. I super duper uber appreciate it. So normally I dive right into the topic at hand, but I want to preface this first, right? So this is very necessary for me. I am by no means an Islamic scholar, nor am I a biblical scholar. I am no expert. These are just my ruminations and my breakdowns of topics as I understand them. So as to provide context and a springboard for others to emulate. I do what I do here to help you realize that understanding the complex topics of Christianity and the topic of defending one's um, faith that can be simplified by a systematic approach to, to researching. This being said, my process of studying for my episodes involves me reading the Bible myself in relation to the topics at hand. Then I find scholarly articles about, what, about whatever topic I'm involved in. From there, I siphon off pertinent information and try to examine the truly complex items into easy to bite tidbits. Anything I need extra, I search online articles to find a layman's approach to the, to the topic at hand. Why do I mention all of this, right? Well, I'm letting you know that this is not all based on my interpretation. I find thought leaders and multiple sources to collaborate my thoughts and to provide validity. You know, not that the Bible itself isn't enough like validity in and of itself, of course. If I source something from the Word of God, I put the verse. If I quote someone, I say who it is. That's a key thing in this show. That being said, I know that certain topics can be controversial or cause distress in those that listen. Mostly, I believe that that distress could be to those who are of other faiths that listen in. My objective is not to cause anyone distress. I am merely presenting points. I term them facts, but points for the furthering of discussion and thought. I will always I will always, you know, support controversial statements as that is how stimulating thought works. Oftentimes, the best way to engage with someone on a topic is to say something outrageous to begin to draw out passion or interest in a topic. While I focus more on the analytical and logical, if anything I say in the show causes anyone to stress or undue burden, I'd encourage you to pray about this and realize that my statements are not intended for you, but for the discussion at hand, okay? It's not a personal attack. If you realize you do not like the statement, begin your own journey, and this is key, to discover why you were impacted by what I said, what you're gonna do about it, and then begin compiling your facts to rebut or to corroborate what you heard. Why do I mention this? Well, this is how this show got started for me, honestly. I, I discover a topic or a controversial point and I will explore all of its facets until I understand what I felt, what is reality, and where to go from there. 
So that being said, let's dive in here about Sharia law. So let's begin here. Sharia law, um, for those who are not familiar with this term, involves the basic laws of Islam. In a way similar to the Edicts by God in Deuteronomy and previous Old Testament books, such laws are theft is punishable by amputation of the right hand, criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable, is punishable by death, criticizing Muhammad or denying that he is a prophet is punishable by death, criticizing or denying Allah, the God of Islam, is punishable by death. A Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim is punishable by death. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam is punishable by death. A non-Muslim man who marries a Muslim woman is punishable by death. There are many more as well, so I encourage you to go look it up for yourself. Um, James White gives a great synopsis of Islamic Sharia law that you can find online, and also you can read each surah and then each book, you know, each part of, of the Quran online. And like I encourage it, you know, it doesn't matter like what your faith is, but you need to be able to read this stuff and then pick out um, what you want to focus on on it. So, Sharia is termed from the Quran, right, the Bible, for those of, Islam of Islamic faith, where Allah mentions the way. Way is the key word here. Basically, the way or Sharia involves the commands Allah delivered to Muhammad. One can find this reference at 4517 Ali. Muhammad's decisions are also to be followed. This can be found at 465 in the Quran. The Sharia then become the body of laws from Allah and his prophet Muhammad. In essence, the Quran details obedience to Allah's commands must precede Allah's love. And this is a key point here. One can find a whole list, right? But one small list of things Allah doesn't love involves this. Allah does not love those who exceed the limits to uh, 190. That's the verse. Allah does not love any ungrateful sinner to 276. Allah does not love the unbelievers, 332. Allah does not love the unjust, 357. Sharia is therefore the path to earning Allah's love. That's what I have deduced from this. You do A and you get B. End of story. Right? Now let me give you a little interlude about God's redemption and unconditional love. And by God, I mean, as I mentioned before in previous posts, um, the God of Christianity, Allah, would be the God of, of Islam. So, God's redemption and unconditional love means the Christian God's, Yahweh's, redemption and unconditional love. Um, so again, let me interlude here. I want to discuss God's redemptive and, and unconditional love and also notate that the law of Moses and Sharia law were delivered not only in different time periods, but different geographical regions and in different circumstances and in different languages. So that really does separate them there, right? So, Mosaic law, and this is a keystone, is not the final message in, in in Christianity. God announces in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 32, that a new covenant is coming for those who believe upon God. This new covenant would reach out to Jew and Gentile through a Messiah who would come and fulfill the law. Jesus, um, in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, speaks of being the one to, for, to forgive all sins. Jesus speaks that accepting, and like he says, that accepting him is all that is needed to be saved, but that he died for our sins preemptively, which is the key part here. God unconditionally loves us as well, having already died for our sins to win us over beforehand. He already He already paved the way for us, right? Even though, the, even then though, Christians um, understand that we are not directly under the law anymore, but under the blood of Christ in that we live by the Spirit. Now, I'm not like negating the law at all, and like we'll get into that like later on in the show. Um, now, and that's a super condensed version 
um, of the goal of the law and then you know Jesus being um, having risen to heaven and then given us a spirit to live by that's a very condensed version of that whole story but I've discussed Christ and what he's done for us what God's done for us in previous podcasts but one can see God's love even in Mosaic law especially in regard to Jews loving their neighbors this included their foreign neighbors as well. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19, 18. So we see about 2,000 years later, keyword here, 2,000 years later in the Quran, Muhammad gives a different sort of treatment. Quote, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and those who are with him are severe against disbelievers and merciful among themselves. 4829 Hilali Khan. This can be seen in countries that follow Islam as a majority religion as well. The grace and long suffering of Christianity is exemplified through Western culture where not only charity abounds, but tolerance for others' beliefs abounds as well. One final message on this front Mosaic Law was accompanied by vast signs and wonders preemptively and afterwards. Right? That's a key part here. Being guided by a pillar of fire to where the Jews need to go being given manna, like water provided from rocks and droughts. These were just droughts. These are just some of, of the examples of miracles. And so obeying God's word and listening to Moses concerning the law of Moses is a completely different thing than um, just, just believing on Allah blindly without any sort of miracle, right? Which there are miracles later on. These people have had literally seen, like the Jews, had literally seen the evidence of God especially when he came thundering down onto a mountain and set it on fire, right? In contrast, Islam denies signs and wonders. Originally, at least, originally at least later stories can be found um, of miracles, but we see that the, there are contradictions here though, okay? Why put miracles in there afterwards when these statements are made? Quote, they say, why is, why is not a sign sent down to him, i.e. Muhammad, from his Lord? Say, the unseen is only for Allah to know. Then wait ye, wait ye, I too will wait with you. 1020 Ali. Yet they say, Why are not signs sent down to him from his Lord? Say, The signs are indeed with Allah, and I am indeed a clear warner. And it is not enough for them that we have sent down to thee the book, which is rehearsed to them. Verily, in it is mercy and a reminder to those who believe. 2950 51 Ali. Right? One excellent example of why I came to love Christianity, Christianity was in the logic of Jesus coming back. See, when you look at the three Abrahamic faiths, one thing is missing. Accountability. What do I mean? Well, a major reason Jesus came back, in addition to wiping our sins clean, you know, that tiny thing, uh, was to iron out the issues introduced through hundreds of years of Israel misquoting and misapplying and garbling up Mosaic law. See, the people had chosen to stray from God, as they had done tons of times before. I think there's about a period of 300 to 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God was pretty clear that he was with his people, but a point of the promised land and the law was so that he could encourage freedom as well as gift his creation with the knowledge of how to make themselves holy, not God's, but holy in the sense of being right with God, God with being reconciled with God through certain actions. 
As before, he lorded over them and essentially held their hand the whole way through the wilderness and even then capitalized the whole thing. They still abandoned God multiple times, even worshiping a golden calf instead of him just because he was gone for 40 days. When I was gone, he was still on the mountain, like the whole mountain's on fire. And then they still like did this. So this happened to Israel after, you know, even after all they had been through, well, God would need to come again, right? As this is the Christian God we're talking about, a God that will leave the 99 to save the one, a God of infinite love and mercy, right? So what does he do? He sends his son, right? He sends himself to show the religious leaders the fallacies that they created and showed them a new way to understand God's law, bringing his people back to the original purpose. Jesus never condemned the law. Let me say this, never condemned the law. He only spoke against the abuses and excesses and the hypocrisy of those leaders against the law. So, long story short, God comes down, he provides new teachings about the law, and then bam, conquers death, hell, and the grave, and voila, gives those who believe in him the Holy Spirit, literally God dwelling within you. What does this mean? This means that you do not have to wonder about interpreting laws. You do not have to like worry about being alone. You have direct access to your creator, capital C. This is the key point as Judaism and Islam do not have this essential element. This is what I'm beating home with you guys and gals. They've had thousands of years to do exactly what Israel has done without having a redeemer come and get them. Hopefully that's clear. Let me give you this excerpt to explain this from the Olive Tree blog. Quote, the Pharisees' weakness was that they were content to obey the laws outwardly without allowing God to change their hearts or attitudes. They looked pious, but they were far from the kingdom of heaven. God judges our hearts as well as our deeds, for it is in the heart that our real allegiance lies. And like the Quran mentions this as well. It's a pretty universal point like among religions that, you know, if it's a if there's a God, then they, then they would know your true heart. Jesus was saying that his listeners needed a different kind of righteousness altogether. I'm still quoting here. Out of love for God not just a more intense version of the Pharisees' obedience, which was mere legal compliance. So our righteousness must come from what God does in us, not what we can do by ourselves. Be God-centered, not self-centered. Be based on reverence for God, not approval from people, and go beyond keeping the law to living by the principles behind the law. We should be just as concerned about our attitudes that people don't see as about our actions that they do see. Right? So, unquote. Let's dive further into this. Got Questions, an excellent source for Christian knowledge, in my personal opinion, has these statements that will add the icing to our cake here. Quote, Consider what Jesus did not do in his ministry. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus' purpose was not to abrogate the word, dissolve it, or render it invalid. The prophets will be fulfilled the law will continue to accomplish the purpose for which it was written. See Isaiah 55, 10-11. Next, consider what Jesus did do. Jesus says, still quoting here, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus' Jesus's purpose was to establish the word to embody it and to fully accomplish, accomplish all that was written. Christ is the culmination of the law, Romans 10, 4. The, the predictions of the prophets concerning the Messiah would be realized in Jesus. The holy standard of the law would be perfectly upheld by Christ. The strict requirements 
personally obeyed, and the ceremonial observances finally and fully satisfied us what God came for. Still quoting here. In his fulfillment of the law and prophets, Jesus obtained our eternal salvation. No more were priests required to offer sacrifices and enter the holy place, which is listed in Hebrews 10, 8 through 14. Jesus has done that for us once and for all. By grace through faith, we are made right with God. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, Colossians 2.14. There are some who argue that since Jesus did not abolish the law, then the law is still in effect and still binding on New Testament Christians. And this is a key point here from Got Questions here. Still quoting, but Paul is clear that the believer in Christ who um, the believer in Christ is no longer under the law. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So, the law became our guardian to lead us to Christ. Still quoting here, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Galatians 3:23-25. We are not under the Mosaic law but under the law of Christ. And you can also see Galatians 6, 2 for this. Right, so now we're gonna unquote. L let me wrap up here with some small differences to kind of further drive us home. So let me poke in some smaller points here. Exodus 23, 31 shows us that God placed a boundary to the Israelite people from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. If you didn't want to live by Mosaic law, you left the land simply enough, right? Jews were not mandated to spread their beliefs or enforce it on Gentiles. It was for them. On the other hand, Sharia law, you know, art was those that wanted to be like accepted into it. On the other hand, Sharia law was taught as to be spread to the entire world. Quote, he it is who sent his apostle with guidance in the religion of truth that he might cause it to prevail over all religions. Though the polytheist may be averse. 933. Still quoting. Allah's messenger said, I have been ordered to fight the people till they say, La ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah, translated. And, it, and whoever said, There is no God but Allah, Allah will save his property and his life from me. And finally, it is said, still quoting here, The messenger of Allah said, Allah drew the ends of the earth together for me to see, and I saw its eastern and western lands, and I saw that the dominion of my ummah, the Muslim community, will reach as as far as that which was drawn together for me to see. So, unquote. I cannot express enough the differences between Islam and Christianity, and I cannot expound enough on the redemptive and love-centric qualities of the Christian faith. So let me beat down this door some more. Just to kind of recap here, what you just heard from the Quran, reverse is talking about the spreading of Sharia law to others and how the objective of Islam, right, is to spread their version to other people. Now, granted, Christianity's mandate is to also spread the gospel. But I leave it up to you to do your own research and to figure out which gospel, which religion, which outpouring is more applicable to how you want to live. I did mention like in, in like one of the previous episodes about how there's a difference between the mandates of, of, of Islam and how they view their expansion and, and those warlike tendencies. I just We're going to expand on this more. I do plan on making this, again, a three-part series about um, 
the three Abrahamic faiths and their differences and also kind of pointing in on it's okay to be critical of other religions and your own religion as long as you're being honest because again these are my opinions here like yes this stuff is pertinent but like what I'm telling you is the is the assertion of information that I've gained from from my research and from my faith right I'm not, I, like what I'm saying here is not written in stone the only thing that's written in stone here technically speaking would be the Quran quotes that I'm giving you and then of course the word of God redemption is a key facet of Christianity how do we know this God gives the Jews Mosaic law after saving them from bondage to Egypt it isn't a do this and I'll let you go it's a I've got you here's how I'm going to love you further and then BAM laws to make one holy Christ died for your sins yes even those of you who don't believe ahead of time and like he did this ahead of time and he has been doing this since Old Testament times so as a minor synopsis here we've seen the various aspects of Sharia law and like you can definitely do your research on Sharia law and, and like I encourage you to right but the entire point here the key crux cornerstone idea here is that Christianity does not stop at Old Testament law it continues on into the coming of Jesus in the in the New Testament right the fulfillment spoken of in the Old Testament of, of Old Testament law to give us the Holy Spirit and to change our to basically introduce a let me give you like a prime example so I've kind of like mentioned this like mentioned this before but before God manifested himself many many times to the Jews and that's kind of how it worked like even in, in, the, in like the early New Testament there are there are like, like mentions of this you know she's coming down from heaven all that kind of stuff and then Jesus comes and then enjoys us with the Holy Spirit the big difference is is that now we have God dwelling with us and before in, in the Old Testament there were people that were touched by God and, and have a spirit very very few very very focused but now we all have it we all have that direct influence God doesn't have to come down and land on a mountain full of fire he lives in all of us constantly you can talk to him you can you, you could do this before right but just but you had to go through the, all these processes that they had to be holy processes. you had to go through a temple and a priest and it was a bunch of work God changed that right God I'm not saying that he fixed that right he fulfilled the law he he came down and died for our sins he, he came down to show us that I am love that's the key here love 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 if ever you're preaching to somebody of a different religion about this it's all about love and it's all about grace that's the cornerstone that's the pillar that's the goal why do I mention this well the key point here is that you can have these conversations with other religions it's okay to read each other's books to engage in discussion about it because look the Quran does speak openly of Jesus it speaks that he was born of a born of a virgin and that he was a prophet for Allah there are many similarities when it comes to biblical stories which comes from the fact that early Islam was influenced by by Christians of the time and also by uh, by Judaism especially from those who came over and converted from Judaism to Islam and brought their traditions over there's a rich history there and there's a rich amount of content involved in this and the goal is not to condemn those of other faiths right but to talk to them about it to show them Jesus that is the key here see because we have Jesus here in Christianity we have our God giving us example 
right? It's like someone may use Muhammad as an example. I'll do a show about that later on. Not the best example when it comes to actions, um, especially when it comes to rationalizing one faith with actions, suffice to say. But we have Jesus to show us. Like the, the goal is to bring them to Jesus because he's the one who intercedes. His blood was shed for our sins, right? It's love, it's grace. That's the goal of Christianity. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, and it really should be. So, like I said before, thanks for tuning in. Um, I appreciate y'all being a part of this with me. Again, this is more for me than this for you guys. And the fact that people are sharing it with me is a beautiful thing. But look, y'all have you a blessed day. And Godspeed, y'all.